Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast where a couple pastor scholars dig into a seasonally appropriate passage of scripture. I'm your host, John Drury. I teach systematic theology and spiritual formation for Wesley Seminary at Indiana Wesleyan University. And my guest this week is Amanda Drury, a regular guest here on Fresh Text. I got her degree to come on uh, about monthly, so hopefully she'll continue to stick with that. But it's been so great to have her on. She is just such a wonderful reader of scripture and a great preacher at that. And she's starting a new uh, company called Discipleship by Design that is something that you might want to keep an eye out for. She mentions a little bit that at the end in the plug time. So anyway, I want you to keep an eye out for Discipleship by Design stuff. But in addition to that, she's an Associate Professor of Practical Theology and Youth Ministry at uh, Indiana Wesleyan University School of Theology and Ministry. Uh, and so this is this week's text is Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. So that's the, so this is episode 34, um, and that's for the 11th Sunday after Pentecost in year C using the lectionary, which is our framework by which we grab these seasonally appropriate texts. So continuing on in our study of Luke this summer, we're at Luke 13, verses 10 through 17. Make sure to rate and review and subscribe and share the podcast. We'd love for the word to continue to get out uh, if you find this edifying for you and equipping for your ministry or just enjoyable. Uh, we'd love for the word to get out. So, all right, enjoy the show. Well, thanks so much uh, for coming, Mandy. Uh, we're looking at Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. So if you listeners want to turn there or just listen, uh, either way, you'll be uh, prepped well for our conversation. So Luke 13, verses 10 through 17. Would you like to read or pray? I'll or read. Both? I'll read. Okay. Go for it. And I'll say a prayer after. Okay. 13, 10 through 17. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, There are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger, and lead it away and give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for eighteen long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things that he was doing. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, most merciful Father, you are the one who created all things in six days and rested on the Sabbath, the seventh day, thereby sanctifying that day and making it a day for us to receive your rest and you are the one who sent your son, Jesus, to fulfill the Sabbath, whose work somehow 
does not break the Sabbath, but somehow makes it into what it's meant to be. I do not yet, if ever, fully understand these things, but here's this story. And so I ask, O Father, that you would send your spirit among us, Amanda and I and all those who listen, separated by space and time, that you would send your spirit that our eyes might be illumined to see, that our ears might be open to hear, that our hearts might be moved by your truth and goodness. Lord, it seems to me that uh, there's enough <laughs> going on in this passage alone to truly encounter your risen Son, Jesus Christ. So I ask that we would have a true encounter, not only with the inspired Word of God written and handed on to us, but the incarnate living Word of God, your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. So what uh, what sticks out to you? What, what grabs you upon this reading? What grabs me upon this reading? <laughs> the things that I'm seeing aren't in any particular order. Seems like great. I should... Oh, okay, great. Good. So I'm looking at, at this verse, verse 15. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away and give it water? And I'm struck that this is the example that he uses. So he's he's comparing a woman's healing to the giving of water. Hmm. Uh, and the two things he does for the ox, for the donkey, is is releases him, unbinds him, unties him, Oof. and then provides it with water. And and I think we see that paralleled with the woman here. Um, woman, you are set free from your ailment. There's a releasing there, an untying of the rope, and then the the giving of water. Her standing up and and praising God. So, I mean, he could have used a lot of examples for that. You know, you hypocrites, something else that makes my point. But but he specifically goes to to the untying in the water. And I think there's something beautiful there. Yeah, just to, I mean, confirm your hunch about not only the thematic connection, but the there is a linguistic connection, just geeky, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. Greek geek corner. Uh, so 15, right? Do you not lue, loose or okay. untie? And then back in verse 12, though, it's woman, apolelusai. So it's, it's, but the root word, you hear it in there, lu, right? right? Mm-hmm. So it's lelu, it's apo, it's unleashed from. So mm-hmm. it's a, it's a variant of that verb. So this is one of these things where you don't need a, you don't need a linguistic resonance to see a thematic one, uh-huh. but a thematic resonance that has a linguistic grounding is more secure. Yeah. Is that yeah. Sense? So, I like that. That's good. Um, Again, I'll always supply the meta commentary. You can supply actual commentary on the text, but, but yeah. So unbind the the ox and bring it to water. Yeah, because you can't go a whole day without drinking. You know, mm-hmm. this is one of those you know reasonable Sabbath exceptions. Right, right. That the that the Pharisees actually were famous and for, I mean, helping people by saying, well, here's, here's some reasonable exceptions within limits, you know? Um, and then he calls out the hypocrisy of it. Oh, that comparison's really good. That, that, that's awesome. You said they're not in a particular order. You got more? Oh yeah. Yeah. So we can always come back to things. Too, sure. Sure. Develop well, I, I want to come back to that because there's something okay. on my mind there. <laughs> I, I, I laughed when, when I read, there are six days on which work ought to be done. You know, the Pharisees saying, Hey, look, you had six days. 
today's the Sabbath. You know, you had, you had one job, <laughs> only one thing you had to do today, and that was to, was to rest, observe the Sabbath. And, um, I mean, it does seem somewhat antagonistic for this to take place on the Sabbath. Ah. And yet maybe this was, maybe this was the first time the woman had walked in the synagogue. Or maybe she'd been there every day and he just decided, okay, today I'm going to do it. Well, I mean, we've seen Jesus uh, choose the timing of his actions to make a point before. <laughs> so that's not beyond the realm, although it doesn't say one way or the other. But yeah. um, maybe this is getting ahead of ourselves. But, of course, they are citing scripture there. I mean, it's Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, both of the places where the Ten Commandments mm. appear. The phrase is, on six days you shall work. And on the seventh, you shall rest. I mean, that's just like, you know what I mean? So it's just like, they're just throwing the Bible out. And this is classic Bible as a weapon, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, although, I think, at first glance, they're in the interpretive right here. At first glance. Sure. Right? Yep, I yep. mean, like you said, you had one job, <laughs> which was to not do something. Yes. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. That's a good... That's a good observation. Yeah. I'm wondering too about this woman coming in. She's been crippled for 18 years and she's, she's bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. That quite unable seems to be hmm. emphasizing her, her physical stance. So it's not just, uh, she was crippled. Well, she wasn't just crippled. She was bent over. Well, she wasn't just crippled and bent over. She was unable to stand up straight. Hmm. So it's just this emphasis, like, She's bent over. She's really, really bent over. Huh. Yeah. And then you wonder then for her to be that bent over, for that to be, for an emphasis to be made like that, what could she see? Hmm. So if she's in the synagogue and she's bent over, I'm just, I'm putting myself in that position right now. Yeah. And I can see the ground. I don't know. Maybe, maybe she could see people's faces if she got in the right angle, but she probably wasn't looking up. At, at various things in the synagogue. You know, who knows, if she, who knows if she even knew what that looked like. Wow. Yeah. I never even thought about that. The different perspective that she has for good or ill. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, her first impression of Jesus was likely his feet. <laughs> yeah. We well, could do a whole series of women at the feet yes, of Jesus. No, I saw where you were going there. <laughs> well, it, yeah. Right. Cause there's, there's the, the falling at the feet mm -hmm. uh, after the, resurrection and the washing of the feet and yeah oh boy the first thing she would have seen was his feet you could also and you could also then include with that is that she her first you know the first action that jesus performed on her from her perspective i mean he saw her but she didn't know that he was seeing her yeah. and then she hears oh, his yeah. voice yeah right so even though his seeing precedes his speaking um from her perspective mm -hmm. uh she hears before she would see hmm. him, which then parallels, you know, someone like, the, you know, like the blind man in John nine, who right. Jesus sneaks away and he's never seen the guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you are talking to him right now and yep. he is the voice that you are hearing, you know? Wow. I, I know I've complimented you on this before, but I love the way you like actually read the Bible. Like these are actual people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, you know, it's empathetic exegesis. That's what Lenny calls it. You know, like where you're actually trying to enter into the characters and sure. see things from their perspective. Um, go ahead. So she would have heard him and then seen his feet. And then he touches her, lays his hands upon her. Immediately. She stood up. 
So she's feeling hands on her, I don't know, maybe her back, her shoulders mm. with her, with her head still down. I wonder, I'm, I'm just curious about the context of that in terms of, uh, men touching women or cripples being touched. Oh, um, we might have to call Dan. We need to call Dan. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, I mean, I'm sure there's going to be, oh, there's definitely going to be issues there. Um, although it's not, I mean, that's not like 10 commandments worthy. So, I mean, this, the ruler of the synagogue here is picking the thing to, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there may be a, but even th- those ritual impurity things, I mean, they're very real, but like they also are, I'm going to use a later distinction that would not, uh, it, it applies, but the terms are maybe misleading, but I'll just use it like, you know, in medieval uh, Christianity, they talk about mortal sins and venial sins, right. you know, like these are more venial sins, right? You get unclean right. yeah. what because yeah. even, you know, a woman's time of the month isn't unclean. Mm-hmm. But it's not a sin in the in the modern sense of a moral action. Right. It's you know it's it's a it's a notion of some kind of pollution that can be purified by way of proper procedure. So it's mm-hmm. a, it's a ritual kind of notion of sin that's hard for us to grasp. Is that making sense? Yeah, that makes sense. So I say all. But whereas the breaking of the Sabbath is not just a uh, uh, a sort of ritual pollution, um, and it's fact. The fact that it's in the Decalogue is not irrelevant in that regard. I mean, it's, it's a direct affront against God. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's with adult, it's with idolatry and you know what I mean? Right. It, right. It's, it's like, it's, it's, you know, yeah. And using God's name. So it's part of the first half of the Decalogue. It's a direct assault on God's honor and will in a way that where the pollution stuff's much more about the community and its order. Although obviously the Sabbath has relevance to the community's yeah. order. Okay. So I guess. This is all okay. Th- I'm suddenly realizing, like, I had, the, I sensed this invitation when you were talking earlier to like engage in some empathetic exegesis with a different character in the mm, story. Okay, and I realized I'm doing it right now, uh-huh. but I often sublimate my my empathetic exegesis in sort of conceptual abstractions, okay. like yeah, I'm doing. Yeah. So, who are you channeling right now? Yeah, I'm channeling the the the, the ruler of the synagogue, right? Yeah, and and. Right as you were speaking of her, I was kind of like, and I did it earlier when I said, well, he is quoting scripture. Like I'm kind of <laughs> sticking up for him. And I actually, part of my sticking up is I need to retract. I earlier just flippantly said Pharisees, mm-hmm. but it's not a fair, it's not identified as a Pharisee. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And it doesn't need to be. Yep. Um, although, uh, you know, yeah, the, the, the Pharisaic influence in terms of how to, you know, properly, uh, the, the, the appropriate exceptions for Sabbath. The ruler of the synagogue, verse 14, it was the guy I was drawn into, the, 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 uh, archasunogogos, right? The, <laughs> the, the congregation's arche. Okay. Their leader, their, yeah. their, the, the chair, the one who calls the meeting, as it were. So not necessarily, uh, a rabbi, a teacher, right? So in fact, probably may have even called on Jesus to speak. Hmm. The, this may have been a friendly Ooh, person. Sure. They may have spent uh, they, he may be, that Jesus might be staying with him. This is, we're in the middle section of Luke when he's traveling. Yeah. So we're in the okay. travel narratives. Yep. Yep. So at least Luke's location of this story means, you know, he's on, he's on travel. So, so Jesus is, you know, at the hospitality of others. And if he's, and it says he, is it say he's teaching in verse? Yeah. Teaching, teaching in the synagogue. So, so he's under the authority. He's been authorized to teach by this very man. Huh? Right. Uh So then now this perhaps I'm just making it up now doing the imaginative exploration. But maybe this guy might have invited. He might have, you know, been visiting 
you know, another friend in a town heard Jesus preach, came back home, talked about it. Maybe his preaching has been influenced by Jesus' own preaching. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> and then he maybe he sent for Jesus to come. You know, uh, you know how he would send people out two by two ahead of him. Right. And maybe they'd come ahead and he'd met Thomas and Bartholomew and said, yeah, we'd love to have Jesus. Bring him. So, so he's kind of on, he's there on, on, uh, Jesus is there on this ruler's, uh, authority and maybe even on his dime. He might be feeding them. So I just want to play that up to say that this would have been a kind of a frustrating turn of events that like, you know, the, you know, the, this crucial practice of Sabbath, this crucial practice of resistance even to, uh, you know, Roman and, uh, to the Romans and to the wit, the rich and wealthy who would love for them to be working seven days a week. Th- this law that's so precious to the people, mm-hmm. um, especially the poorer you are, the more precious the Sabbath becomes. Sure. So, he, and then you get Jesus who you thought was this channel of the poor, you invite him and then he's breaking the Sabbath right in front of everybody. You know, yeah. I mean, things are going to get out of hand. I mean, I, I, I'm seeing him think like, what's the precedent that's being set here? I, I you know, as you're, you're married to me, you know, I, thinking precedent it's like well this might be fine this might be fine but what's gonna happen right this is gonna get out of hand right, i've gone on long enough but you yeah well in this uh leader of the synagogue uh maybe he's just saying this to cover himself you know making it clear i do not condone this <laughs> see i'm i'm and I, I know i feel that sometimes if i'm responsible for someone or I feel responsible for someone. Uh, I'm, I'm extra sensitive to things that they're doing. I feel the need to either excuse them or distance myself from them. There is an explicit uh, support for that thought. Where did it go? Responding, the synagogue, angry that said to the crowd. Ah. Uh, so. Okay. Um, not that you're that. W- that was a good hunch uh-huh, uh-huh. that that's possible. The text itself actually is saying exactly what you're saying. You see it? He was yeah. saying to the cloud, it's even a, it's even an, it's an, uh, it's an imperfect verb. So it, it can, the default is to say he was saying as if, you know, he's like, whoa, 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 to the crowd, you know, who came <laughs> to see Jesus. Yeah. Wow. That, I mean, that's actually in a way the most charitable read on this guy is to say that he may even be willing to approve of Jesus as this kind of exceptional prophet. You know, don't, don't think this gets you off the hook with the Sabbath. Well, with that observation of yours, I think we should take a break, um, and come back. And I'd like to come back from the break and start by asking, how does that inside of yours maybe affect how we interpret Jesus response now? Okay. 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 So let's take a quick break. We're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. We're uh, looking at Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17 with Amanda Drury. And left with a little question that came to mind for me after a great observation from Amanda saying, pointing out that the ruler of the synagogue might have been speaking and and actually probably is speaking because it says to the crowd, like, hey, guys, don't, you know, don't. He's speaking to them as much as rebuking Jesus. Now, it says he's indignant, but his address is to the people. So then I'm wondering how that might help us maybe see the rest of the teaching then. Um, so I'll just read it. Verse 15. Um, then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox? It's in the plural. 
I'm already yeah, noticing yeah, that, right? Yeah. Untie his ox or his ass from the manger and lead it away to water it. And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be unleashed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And as he said this, all his adversaries were put to shame and all the people rejoiced at the glorious things that were done to him. I mean, 17 adds a twist then as you kind of have the people Mm -hmm. over against maybe his adversaries that may have been in the room. There may have been a little debate going on even. Yes. Wow. Yeah, that's the image that comes to mind for me. So Jesus is talking with this woman and he's probably in close proximity to her. The leader of the synagogue is now addressing the crowd and Jesus, it looks like, isn't even necessarily addressing specifically or uh, individually the the leader of the synagogue, but address is addressing the same crowd. Yeah. So they're almost fighting for the people's That's understanding right. there. Yeah. Yeah. And then, oh man, this, this, this clear, so you mentioned the comparison of the don, what's yours have? Donkey, ox, I'm trying to remember. Uh, Mine's old ox. school. It's got ass. Uh, yeah. <laughs> ox or his donkey. Okay. So the comparison of the donkey and the, right. But then the comparison, because by definition, you know, comparison also includes a contrast and unlikeness. Right. And he's doing a kind of what's, what's referred to as a how much more argument, right? Mm-hmm. How much more, verse 16, that a daughter of Abraham, right? Who's not just thirsty, but bound by Satan, right? It's like, it's kind of like, this is even better of a reason. In fact, you almost, he's not saying this, but you almost, this is, I think it's really relevant maybe for thinking about Jesus' relationship to the Sabbath, that it's not just do whatever you want, man. You could almost take him as saying, maybe that exception is a selfish exception. Maybe that's a bad exception. You know, maybe I'm not saying he's really teaching this, but I mean, he's saying, like, wouldn't it be better to let your, you know, let your oxen, I mean, I'm flipping around, making a negative. Wouldn't it be better to let your donkey go hungry and thirsty on the Sabbath than it would be to let, you know, this woman suffer one more day? Because he mentions the 18 years. Yeah. You know, as if, isn't her suffering greater than the suffering of an ox? That's what I'm trying to get at, is this kind of, it's an argument, you know, uh, for compassion, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And whereas, like, there is compassion in getting the ox out of the ditch. That's not this. That's another passage, right? But the there's compassion for the animal in that exception. Mm-hmm. But it's not it's but there's also there's also your own selfish need. You you need that ox, right? Right. Um I can't trust that that the ox is going to be okay with a day off without my husbandry, right? right. And so right. he's sort of saying like, you know, do you actually trust God on the Sabbath? If you know, all your exceptions are just to help business run smoothly. I'm in- interested in the exceptions to Sabbath law that bring life, you know, to the daughter of Abraham. I don't know. I'm just flipping here. but Yeah. Uh, when you see the contrast, too, in how Jesus is talking to the crowd compared to the teacher of the law. So a uh, teacher of the leader of the synagogue, excuse me. So in verse 14, uh, But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd. So we get Mm -hmm. this sense that he is making this statement, this assertion over and over again. He kept saying it to the crowd. And then you contrast that with Jesus addressed to the crowd. And we get the impression it's just one thing he says, and it's a question. Yep. Simple aorist. Mm Mm-hmm. 
do you not do this? Should not this? So you're right. They're both in the form of these kind of rhetorical questions. Right. It's it's inviting people in. Ah, yeah. It's kind of laying down the law versus inviting interpretation of the law. Right? Yes. And, Which, and empowering the people. Yes. Yeah. Which is a classic difference between a ruler and a, a, a synagogue ruler and a rabbi. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the ruler is interested in imposing order, you know, on the community for the, for the sake of the community. I think it's not, uh, it's not all like the motives are mixed, not, you know, it's not all evil down to the, you know what I mean? Right. It's saying, this is the way that God has taught us to live laying down the law. Right. And Jesus inviting, you know, <laughs> consider what it means to really live according to the Torah. <laughs> Right. Right. What, what, what is more faithful to the Torah in this instance? And in a weird way, I, I don't, in this passage, if we just had this passage, Jesus relationship to Sabbath is a broader, more complex question. But if all you had was this passage. You actually would have no reason to think that he's like interested in Sabbath breaking in general. Right. He's actually having an argument over what the right exceptions are. Right. Yes. And making an argument from precedent. He's acting like Pharisee actually here's. Here's a precedent we've already set. This uh-huh. is a proper exception. Notice how this, surely this is an even better exception. And you can hear the people saying, yeah, right? Like, oh, I if love that part. Healing, I love that part. The rejoicing. Yes. Yeah. And all Opponents the put to things. shame. All the, the entire crowd was rejoicing. And I mean, verses, verses 15 and 16, that's what the people are going to tweet. Like they're going to, they're going to come back with, with those lines. And, and I mean, we see scenes like this where there's, there's a crowd of people, whether it's a public debate or you're listening for the one liners or the mic drops and you get the sense that they're just fully engaged in watching this drama unfold in front of them. I'm picturing the ruler of the synagogue and perhaps other opponents putting, laying down the law again and again, Jesus still locked eyes with this woman glorifying God. <laughs> yeah. And then it kind of hushes down. There's a moment of silence. And then he just turns to the crowd and just delivers it. And that's it. You know? Yes. Dumbfounded. In verse 17, all his opponents were put to shame. So this story begins with a woman bent over, really, really bent over, unable to straighten up, bent over with the leaders of the synagogue standing tall. And then those roles are reversed by the end of this. She is standing straight and the opponents are, are are in shame. You know, if you get a mental image mm. of what shame looks like. Wow. And see, just see a reversal there. Wow. I mean, that's such a Lucan theme over and over again, right? He has the, the reference more often than the others. The, the uh, he who exalts himself will be humbled. Hmm. He who humbles himself <laughs> will be exalted. And the... The... The language there, the root words of those terms are lifting. The one who lifts up himself will be brought low, right? And the one who is brought low will be lifted up. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So that's Luke. Uh, it appears mul- multiple times, but it's in Luke 18, verse 14. And then, but it's, it's in Luke more often than the other gospels, which is always a kind of clue that it might be a, a particularly a particular interest to Luke and the <laughs> themes that he wants to highlight. Think of the Magnificat as well, which is only in Luke. Sure. Right. Sure. Is that same, that, 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 that bringing he the low, brought down. Mm-hmm. the lowly up mm-hmm. and the uplifted down, you know, that's that constant. And boy, I never saw it there, especially shame as hunched over. Right. Oh, right. <laughs> well, the shame, right. The downcast face, yes. like, woo, you know, when you're like, Think of Charlie Brown. He's like, your shoulders go down, your head, your face kind of drops. 
when you're just like, oh man, boy, did we ever step in it? Um, <laughs> or we're, I think we're right, but he's got the better argument today, or at least he has the people, even if we think we're right, right? It's right, something along right. those lines, that shame. That's a, such a great insight. Okay. I just, I saw something that I hadn't ever seen before. Hmm. And I don't know what this does to our conversation because it might be another wrench. We've already twisted it around this conversation. I've been having so much fun with you today. Um, <laughs> it says that he said to the people, and so I got stuck on that. Okay. But look at the language. There are six days on which work ought to be done or when it is necessary to work or fitting to work. Come on those days and passive be healed and not on the Sabbath day. Does yours have it passive? Yes. And be cured. So that's not, he's addressing the woman in the crowd. He's not saying the first half work implies Jesus. You shouldn't be working. Right. But the second half is saying, which means the crowds, they they might, a bunch of people might've just lined up behind her to get healed too. And they're saying, no, come back tomorrow. He'll be here. I mean, again, he may have invited this healer. He's pro healing. Yeah. Just not healing on the seventh. Right. Right. He's not against healing. Um, He's saying. Those are the days for healing, not today, which is that classic thing I remember from growing up in, uh, not in a Sabbatarian household. Well, Sabbatarian household, not a Sabbatarian, uh, immediate family. My parents were rebels against strict Sabbatarian household life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I was familiar with it. And my grandma moved in with us for a few years and I saw tensions between her and my father around the Sabbath. And um, and I had certain sympathies with some of her insights uh, against the just workaholism of my father's generation, although he knew how to take a day off. That boy knew how to Sabbath, don't get me wrong. Uh, but not on the seventh day. It was <laughs> when it fit his schedule, you know? Right, but, uh, right, right. And, and her, but I remember a big part of that Sabbatarian culture. I don't know how much of this was in your experience, but when you really have a Sabbatarian community rather than just individual Sabbath Mm -hmm. uh, keeping, you think in terms of how am I causing other people to work? I mean, it's right there in Uh, the, 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 the Deuteronomy form where it says, do not let, do not put your oxen to work or your slave. It's meant to be because you were selves slaves. It's saying, don't make other people work. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you encountered that growing up. Like that was always the reason to not like go out to eat on the Sabbath was because it's making them work. Right. Uh, I don't know if you bumped into that stuff. I don't know how Sabbatarian your family history is. I, I, don't, I, I remember I remember not being able to go shopping or to the movies, but we could do almost anything else. It was like, you can have fun, but not that much. Okay. And and by the time I was in high school, that had changed. Okay. It's kind of this rolling understanding. Okay. Was it the publicness of it more? Like not being? Oh, maybe. Uh, yeah. I was just curious. Because yeah. it, it wasn't like your house, what you were allowed to do was no. pretty no, no issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, me too. It's just like I said, I saw some of it secondhand, you know, in the stories from my parents and stuff. But wow. Yeah. Anyway, again, that's speaking from my own history, but it actually, there's elements of truth where you can look back in the text and in Exodus, in Deuteronomy, in this, even here, he's saying, um, he's, he's rebuking the woman and the crowds, which actually fits the notion that he may not be. This guy might not feel, like I said, I wasn't calling him or he's not a rabbi or a Pharisee. He might not feel up to snuff to argue with Jesus. <laughs> That's why he's not making a clever, a clever rhetorical question. He yeah, just says, yeah. Hey, these are the rules and you're breaking them as if 
and I'm not letting him off the hook because in fact, that's, that's the sinister character of this all is here's this leader of the people, probably more wealthy, least respected and a dignitary of some kind in this little town, mm-hmm. you know, rebuking the people with greatest needs, you know, because they're messing yeah. up what yeah. Sabbath's supposed to look like. Right. Um, and, uh, and perhaps spooked to directly uh, call Jesus out, hmm. you know. So he's calling out the, you know, right, right, the the people. Huh? Come and be healed. I want to check it and see if it's plural. Come it's on that. those days and be cured, and not on the Sabbath day. Oh my goodness, it's plural, Mandy. Therefore, on those coming, it's a participle, but it's plural. It's a it's a participial like how imperative. You talk about grammar as if I understand it. <laughs> <laughs> you do. Come Keep on, going. you know part is a word. Y'all becoming to be therapized, healed, and not on the day of the seventh, right? Not on the Sabbath day. Yeah. So it's plural. So so it's very clearly an instruction: no more healings. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So now I'm definitely picturing the crowds like lining up <laughs> for healing time. Right, right. And perhaps he's been there all week. There's been a healing revival in this town. People have been getting healed all week. That's why she came. Perhaps. I mean, I mean I'm just making this up now, but. Huh. And he's like, no, 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 no. Stop, 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 stop. No more, no more, no more. Yeah, yeah. He's just trying to get, he's just trying to have order. He's like, no, no, no. So Sabbath's for, Sabbath's for teaching and learning, sitting and being quiet. Not. And notice there's a ruckus. She's glorifying God, right? <laughs> there's healing, there's ruckus, there's Yeah, boy, this is this is the kind of text that would be really fun to uh to play around with the blocking. Yeah. Just to just to get a sense of, of different ways in which this this might have played out. So if I'm teaching a preaching class, I would have my students stand up and we'd probably mm. take turns saying, Hey, this is how I see the story, this is how I see the story. But uh we could do that with Legos, I guess. Yeah. And and blocking is really great radio. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, I think it's perfect, perfect transition to thinking then about preaching. What would it mean to make mm-hmm. for this text to be really experienced by hearers in the context of preaching and teaching? So let's take a quick break and come back and write okay. a sermon. Yep. Yep. Right. Sounds good. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with Amanda Drury, and we are looking at Gospel According to St. Luke, chapter the 13th, verses 10 through 11, this beautiful story of a woman who's been bent over for 18 years, Jesus healing her, and then a controversy that arises because it's the Sabbath day. So thanks, Amanda, for all the time and insights you've already been given. Uh, as we transition um, maybe thinking about a sermon, uh, where, how do you want to get going on that? Well, I, I want to jump in first and, okay. and just point out Jesus doesn't forgive any sins in this passage. Yeah. When we think about the, the healing stories in the four gospels, sometimes we get a, Hey, your sins are forgiven. By the way, now you're healed. Sometimes we get a, you're healed. Uh, now go and don't sin anymore. And then, th- and this is just, this is just healing. Hmm. Um, I'm curious, do you, have, do you have any thoughts about how those stories contrast? Maybe, or how they function, perhaps in various gospels. Is huh. this common for Luke? Well, that I that I don't know. I, he definitely has the forgiving of sins 
uh, in conjunction with with healing uh, from time to time. I haven't done a thorough study, so now I will, uh, <laughs> but not right now, but um, of seeing um, if all the healing, when he, if healing and forgiveness are brought together in stories shared with other gospels, right? So the famous one I'm thinking of that I know is on your mind because you've been working on it for a DVD thing, the paralytic, the four friends. Right, right, right. And right. that, and he, and they're clearly there for a healing. He gives forgiveness and actually the healing isn't even offered until he gets called out. <laughs> so that appears in Mark and I believe is in Luke as well. Um, I'd have to double check, but I'm almost certain. Um, so, so that does happen. This, this story is only in Luke. So the fact that this is a Luke only story and doesn't have that little mm. forgiveness piece in it is not irrelevant. Having said that, I mean, Luke, Luke's version of the Lord's prayer says, forgive us our sins versus Matthean debts. Okay. Uh, um, Luke, uh, has, um, uh, language of forgiveness, uh, emerge here and there. Um, but I think there's, uh, it, at the very least, when we talked earlier about the low brought high, high brought low thing, right, right? Right. His emphasis on the, the socioeconomic inversion that the kingdom brings mm-hmm. does have a tendency. I just, if we're thinking about Luke's kind of theology, right? Sure, sure. Does have a tendency to, um, displace the centrality of forgiveness. Huh. So I'm not saying. He doesn't care about forgiveness of sins. I'm saying it displaces the centrality as if that's the thing. Um, um, having said that, the larger question of what the relationship between, you know, sin and suffering are is very complex one, a very interesting one. And in a certain sense, forgiveness is not absent in this story. It's just not the language. It's only absent. It's, it's, it seems more absent to us as modern readers for whom forgiveness is about morality. Uh, and the uh, soul, okay. yep. whereas healing is about, you know, suffering and the body. Right. But these right. are not dualists. These yeah. people, it's a holistic experience. So, hmm. so the, 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 the attack of Satan, the, the infirmities and suffering that we experience, the sinfulness that is both pollution and injustice, as well as God's own wrath. These are all somehow intertwined if you read the prophets, right? Like right, it kind of right. moves, moves back and forth between all those things. Now, again, if you're thinking in a modern dualistic way and then you start trying to connect sin and suffering, it gets really dangerous. Because hmm. then you say, oh, I suffered. Okay, what sin did my soul do? Yes, yes. What moral error did I have that's causing this um, physical right. pain? Right, right. And then it's a causal relationship. But that actually is moving us out of the the thinking of this time. And I don't even think just the cultural thinking. I think the just this is proper Christian theology is we are whole persons such that you can't. So I think sometimes we overcorrect from that modern dualism by saying, oh, your suffering has nothing to do with your sin. Well, that's just false. That's just patently false on New Testament grounds, hmm. let alone once you bring in the whole prophetic and Torah, the, the whole, whole scripture clearly Sin and suffering are all intertwined with one another, such that healing and forgiveness are intertwined. Um, but I notice the verb I'm using, intertwined, not sort of one causes the other. It's not sure. that kind of, sure. when that's a dangerous kind of thinking that I think just imposes shame where it doesn't belong. Um, so, because it's the communal guilt, it's, it's the community that has failed to follow God is why Satan has power in this town. So yeah, th- there's always sin 
if Satan's around, sin's around. Hmm. But the question isn't whether this daughter of Abraham sinned. You know, uh, that's that's not even almost or even a relevant question to a person like Jesus, because to her, him, what he sees when he sees her is neither sinner nor sufferer. He sees daughter of Abraham. Yeah. Yes. And that's my homiletical one-liner to get us back on. <laughs> that was my little well, five minute. Thank you, John. Of my five little, little <laughs> five minute little talk on healing, and did that address yes, what you that, were asking? That, or? that helps. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Especially. So now that you've asked me a f- question, I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. If let's say, boom, you just got a phone call. Um, you've got not a week. It's Saturday night. You just got a call, and somebody you know is a super sick pastor or a friend. Is there's a situation or whatever don't think about the situation and you're preaching tomorrow night right and the text is already picked the bulletin's been printed this is the passage they already have a video of kids reading the passage and acting it out with the blocking you didn't even get to control that blocking right right i'm forcing you in because every time i have you have you on you tell me the things you would think more about i'm like no no, let's actually write it what what's your sermon how do you put it together what's your big idea yeah what's the, the the basic structure and approach (laughs) <laughs> I think I think the big idea, I don't have an epithy statement yet, but the big idea being unleashed from and then offered or then given. So the the the, the ox untied, given water, the um, you know, stand up and then she's standing up straight. Uh let's see here where'd that go. Woman, you're free. Immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. And it's it seems to be some of the classic biblical takeoff put on type stuff. So, woman, you are set free from your ailment. Okay, she's set free. There's there's a loosening here. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. It's not enough to just be set free. You're you're invited into a life of freedom. You're to to enjoy what you, you what you've been freed from and introduced to. Hmm. You know, it's some of the. Um, Oh, the verses that talk uh, talk about take off, take off, put on. What are those? Where are those found? Yeah, like Ephesians. Ephesians. Yeah. So it's not just it's not just take off because then you're what walking around naked. Mm-hmm. It's you take off and then you put this on instead. Oh, the symbolism's so great. <sighs> Bent over. Yeah. Right. Um, humbled. Right. Mm-hmm. Standing up straight and then going from the pain to the praise. Yes. Right. Yes. And the fitting response to the gift of being unleashed. Yeah. You know what? Maybe the question that I'm asking is what's your posture? Ah, um, are you, <laughs> let's see here. You found it. <laughs> are you bent over and quite unable to stand up straight? Yeah. You know, is, is, is that, is that where you're at in life right now for whatever reason, whether it is some kind of sin or, uh, circumstances that you can't control. Yeah. You've got the world on your back. Oh. Um, are you just starting to stand? Have you heard Jesus free you, but you haven't seen the evidence of that yet? He hasn't quite touched you yet. Right. Because it, it's fascinating that he says yeah. you are unleashed yeah. first, then touches. Those it's are like my the long word pauses precedes, there. I was trying to figure that out there. Because the word of of <laughs> unleashing precedes the, the actual physical transformation. Yes. Yes. But he doesn't, it's a, it says it's done. He's yeah. not saying you're going to, you're in a second here, you're going to be unleashed. No, yeah. you're. So are you, are you bent over, wow. really, really bent over? Are you in the process of standing up or are you standing up straight? And if you are standing up straight, great. Make sure that you are, you know, rejoicing with those 
who are who are suffering or or, or uh, living in empathy with those who are suffering. Um, instead of the ruler, is that where you tie of, yes, that in? Yes, yes, yes. Does the posture theme fit with him? Is he in a different? Is he have the wrong posture? He is, which eventually brings him down. Hmm. So if you are standing, what are you going to do to keep keep that way? Uh, what are the temptations for you to uh, to become hunched over? What's going to draw you in towards the ground? Oh, that's really good because he's looking down on her. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. And that that kind of the, the exaltation leads itself to humiliation because you're you've got your eye on measuring up another person's mm-hmm. uh, moral qualities, yeah. Rather than lo- lifting your eyes to the sky to praise, because it's suddenly hitting me now as as we've worked out the details of his of the ruler of the synagogue's errant posture, the question arises, you know. Well, what should he have done? And you're telling me he should have joined her in praise. You know? Yes. That a, that a posture of glorifying God, of, of, of giving thanks to God, of giving praise to God. Or even right? just silent in awe. Yes, right. The, wonder, the, the wonderment appropriate to the work of God mm-hmm. in your midst right. is the proper posture. Variation of that could be, how do you see the least of these? Mm-hmm. You know, those people that our society sees as as hunched over you know what, what's your view of of the poor mm-hmm. of uh, the needy the bent over right are you there to help them that you're you're lording over them you know that kind of patronizing mm-hmm. patronizing assistance yeah and that's all posture i think the posture theme is a really it the story invites it because she's i mean her her ailment is so unique she's the only mm-hmm. one with that particular ailment in the gospels right right and so in order to differentiate this from other healing stories, playing on the posture theme is brilliant. So I think you found it. That's what are for our listeners, I'd say. And then the posture theme, then that invites, you know, again, you wouldn't, it's ideal that you're not preaching a sermon on, you're writing your sermon on Saturday night. Um, I just was trying to force you to make a decision. <laughs> uh, but uh, you're just such a good teacher. You're like, well, I would think more about this and that, you know, if you were, you had a week, you had a month, whatever, you're preparing a sermon. That posture theme is in is in your mind, and then you, and then you don't have to force the illustrations. You just notice them because huh. this surely there's some great, there's some humorous and insightful, right, yeah. you know, witticisms and and stories around posture. I mean, even you and I, if either of you, either of us were preaching, you know, you and I have all these great little things about posture. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I, I think there could be some some great words of empathy for people who are feeling as if they are really bent over yeah. and asking them, you know, what do they see? I'll, you, you see, you see the ground. It's just dirt in front of you. It's this or that with the, with the invitation to look for Jesus feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you might not feel like you can see God. You might not, um, you know, it seems like God is absent. Yeah. You're looking for this or for that. Just look for, maybe even just look for his shadow. <laughs> Look for places where you where you can get glimpses, even if it's just very, very small. That 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 one small word of praise that seems to have mm-hmm. be so irrelevant to, to what's going on. Uh, and listen for his voice. But listen for mm-hmm. listen for his voice. But I, I think it's somewhat permission giving too. Um, you know, for someone to say if they're in suffering, and I, I don't I don't know where God is in any of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, well, yeah, but that doesn't mean he's not near. That's right. 
Yeah. And when you do the posture thing, you don't want to make it out. This is back to the patronizing to like, just make it, you know, oh, poor you, you're bent over, Mm -hmm. but rather to really see, you know, the presence of God, even in the midst of your bentness, you know, and the hope that's there. That's great. And the false stature of the Hmm. leader, the ruler of the synagogue. Well, that was fun. Yeah. That's a, that's a sermon. That'll work. That'll preach. That'll do. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, good. Thanks for giving an hour of your time, Amanda. And uh, thanks to all of our listeners um, for listening in. Uh, Before we go, I just wanted to ask if you had anything you wanted to plug. This is going to drop in late August. Anything going on? Any speaking or publications coming out or events or anything you wanted to mention? Well, the the first thing that comes to mind, especially when I'm reading on Sabbath, would be uh, not my work, but Nate Stuckey's book, Wrestling with Rest. Yeah. Uh, Wrestling with Rest is the title. And it's, it's about youth and sabbath but i mean you read the book and it's it's applicable to to full congregations uh that's that's a book i've actually just started and um it's it's really an invitation to enjoy the gift of sabbath so i would I'll, i'll put a plug in for that um Beginning late August, early September, we should have our first round of Discipleship by Design curriculum out where we're using uh, design thinking to read the Bible, which probably are some terms that people either really know or are completely foreign to them. But it's it's drawing on on empathy and things like that, actually using some of the questions that that we've been doing here. But uh, that that should launch the end of September. We've got five churches that we're, we're doing a test run with it. Uh, but we're making enough that we can pass out to a few others just to see. Could to you see make extra on order or are you guys not ready for that? Just no, no, we, we, we've got extra on order that will, that will keep in the. What's the best way to find out more about discipleship by design or is it? Ideally it would be going to discipleship by design.com. Okay. Uh, but there's nothing there right now, right. but you own, the, but I do own, own it. The domain. I own it. So it might be there by it the time people there. hear this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So discipleship by design, keep an eye out for that. Um, it's great, great stuff. And yeah, I, uh, I mean, at, at this point I'm just selling it to people who know me and are calling me up sure. and saying, Hey, could I get 50 copies of X? Well, let's make it a sponsor and of the podcast and All right. do it more often. Sounds good. No pressure. <laughs> that was, that's not a contractual <laughs> Obligation, just a conversation. You said it on air. Oh, it's official. All right, thanks so much again to Amanda for the time you've given to us, and thanks to all our listeners for listening in and studying with us. We appreciate your support so much. Um, yeah, and I want to say a big thank you as well to Eric Fisher and to Todd Bouchong for their great production work, and to uh, Tom Adamson for donating the theme music. Um, it's great to be supported by um, old friends. And so, yeah, and with that said, we say uh, have a good preach and a great week. Bye bye.